1: Good to see you all again. I'll be reading tonight's uh, preaching passage from uh, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 34. And it reads this way. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, Do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for the people of God. I told Katie that this text, um, I wrestled with it. I'm, it woke me up like in the middle of many nights um, just thinking about what, what is in it. There's so many layers uh, to this text and so many preaching entries ah yeah um and so uh i'm just going to give you what i got when i look at the world i see such an economic imbalance how do we explain a world with billionaires and people who work every day and don't or can't afford or don't have or can't afford health care. How do we understand a world where people live in million dollar homes and others live under bridges? How do we make sense out of a society that says pull yourself up by your bootstraps to people who can't buy boots because they don't get paid a livable wage? How do we tell such people, don't worry about your life? In my mind, I can hear them respond, don't worry, seriously? All I do is worry. And yet this text has Jesus saying, do not worry about your life. Now I've read this scripture probably like many of you dozens and dozens of times over the years. But this was the first time my body rejected it. At least it rejected the traditional ways I've interpreted it and heard it preached. This was the first time I've approached this text with a question. And here it is for your consideration. How do we interpret this text in ways that make sense to people who are housing insecure? How do we interpret this text in ways that honor the lived experiences of people earning less than a livable wage, or who are unemployed, or who are unable to afford health care, or who are single parents unable to afford child care? How do we interpret this text with people who, because of trauma and adverse childhood experiences, live in a perpetual state of anxiety? How does this text make sense for people who, no matter how hard they try, cannot stop intrusive thoughts from invading their minds? I know something about that. Having been diagnosed with anxiety when I was eight years old. And no matter hmm, how many prayers we offer to a God that we believe in, the anxiety and worry persist. How do we make it make sense? Is Jesus simply perpetuating toxic positivity or is he trying to communicate something much deeper to his followers? Well, I know you know here at Galileo that context matters, right? Jesus, in this context, is advising his followers not to idolize what one translation calls mammon. Mammon is property. It includes, but is not limited to, financial wealth. Mammon is whatever we can claim as our own materially. It could be a car, it could be clothing, shoes, an iPad, a home, a piano, a job, a bank account, or a stock portfolio. Jesus is teaching his followers to resist the human inclination to give over our whole lives to the acquisition and consumption of material goods, things. When our entire life is devoted to the accumulation and acquisition of stuff, Jesus knows we will never ever have enough. When our happiness is contingent upon what we possess, we will never experience the spiritual gift of joy. Because life, you see, can change on a dime. In an instant, we can lose everything. Ask me how I know. In less than two years, I had to start all over again. There was water, water everywhere. I call it the flood. My daughter and I lived through two of them in less than two years apart. The first time, we lost every piece of property in our three-bedroom apartment, except one cabinet, our laptops, and phones. Books, clothing, shoes, underwear, dishes, food, everything. The second time, we lost something even more valuable, our sense of safety and security. After the first flood, my daughter and I were hypersensitive to freezing weather and rain. We lived with anxiety and worry that it might happen again. And it did. My therapist calls what we lived through environmental trauma. It impacted us both psychologically and emotionally. Now, our anxiety and our worry wasn't because we idolize possessions. We are clear that every material possession can be replaced if we so desire. Jesus here is not teaching that people who have experienced some form of trauma, people who live with PTSD and other neurodiversities, ought to just trust God and everything will be okay. Jesus is admonishing his followers to transform their thinking such that they come to understand that their lives are not based on sowing and reaping and storing goods in barns. Life for followers of Jesus isn't about getting and keeping things. Life that is truly life, life that is meaningful and purposeful, will require deep trust in God and not things. Life That is truly life, requires trust in a God who provides. Now, let me say this. God's provision for us today isn't like it was when the people wandered in the wilderness. See, God does not miraculously rain down manna from heaven to feed us. Now, God partners with people. God partners with people willing to share their resources, their creativity and innovation, their possessions, and even their influence on the behalf of others. Do you mind if I share a story with you of one such person? Do you mind? Okay, okay. Since this is Women's History Month, I'd like to share a story of a woman who models Jesus' wisdom in this text, which I understand to be a radical reorientation of our whole life. Her name is Bridget Biddy Mason. Biddy was an African-American woman who lived between 1818 and 1891. Although she was born enslaved, Biddy gained her freedom when she sued her enslaver in a landmark court case in California. Biddy walked with God. I mean literally. Her enslavers, Robert and Rebecca Smith, forced her and her family to walk over 2,000 miles while they rode comfortably in horse and carriage to Utah and eventually to California, which was a free state. Once in California, realizing that it was a free state, Biddy petitioned for her freedom, it with the help, hear me now, the help of influential people in Los Angeles, she was able to secure her liberation as well as the freedom for her three daughters. After gaining her freedom, Biddy worked as a nurse and a midwife using those skills that she had acquired during her enslavement. Biddy was a highly respected medical expert and successful. Uh, and had a successful career in Los Angeles. Over time, Biddy managed to save enough money to invest in real estate. She accumulated a fortune that would be about $7.5 million in today's money, making her one of the richest women in Los Angeles. Biddy used her wealth Let me say it again. Biddy used her wealth to establish a daycare, a daycare center for working parents and created an account in a neighborhood store where families who had lost their homes in flooding could get supplies. God partnered with Biddy Mason. No, God did not rain down manna from heaven. God partnered with Biddy to ensure that unhoused persons didn't have to worry about what they would eat. God partnered with Biddy to create a daycare so working parents didn't have to worry about losing their jobs because they couldn't afford child care. Biddy shows us what the kingdom of God looks like. She shows us what it looks like to partner with God to help alleviate suffering of the most vulnerable people in society. People who worry and have anxiety because of systemic injustices and economic inequality. Biddy not only partnered with God, but Biddy partnered with other people who also partnered with God. There were people who didn't look like Biddy, who partnered with God to help her gain her freedom. Biddy Mason, you see, didn't do it alone. The help of others enabled her the freedom to utilize her own creative capacities to curate a life for herself and her family. Because of the community's partnership, Biddy used what she Biddy used what was intended to break her, her enslavement, to build a soul-satisfying life. Biddy paid it forward by committing herself and her resources to alleviating suffering whenever and however she found it and when she could. She partnered with God to use her finances to fund businesses that eliminated barriers for people in her community. There is a word in Swahili that describes what Biddy did. It's called Ujama. Can you say that? Ujama. Ujama, thank you. Ujama is cooperative economics, which is essentially a commitment to practice to the practice of shared social wealth and the work necessary to bring it to pass. Ujamaa is mutual aid, upgraded and expanded. It moves us away from our focus on individual flourishing to communal flourishing. Eliminating worry of all kinds, I believe it's a communal project and begins with trust in the divine source. Trust in a divine plan can provide a sense of security and stability. By trusting that things will unfold, no matter what's happening now, that they will unfold according to a greater, higher purpose, people of faith can release our worries and focus on living in the present moment. But we must do it together. A communal practice of ujamaa can help reduce or even eliminate altogether worry in people of faith through several interconnected ways. And I'll share three of those ways with you. First of all, a communal practice of ujamaa can help eliminate worry because there is an alignment in our values. A practice of ujama among people of faith emphasizes values such as fairness and equality and social responsibility, which often align with the moral and ethical principles that characterize the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus. By engaging in economic practices that reflect our spiritual beliefs, people of faith can experience a sense of harmony, inner peace, Reducing worry and guilt associated with participating in exploitive or unjust economic systems. Next, it, a practice of ujamaa can facilitate economic stability. What would it look like if followers of Jesus prioritized people over profits? What would it mean if we prioritize the well-being and financial security of the entire community? ensuring that no economic disparities existed in church or society? What if followers of Jesus saw it it as our responsibility to do our part in supporting policies that dismantle economic disparities where women earn 77 cents on every dollar earned by men and where black women in Texas earn 55 cents paid to every dollar earned by a white non-Hispanic man? A focus on communal prosperity can provide people of faith with greater economic stability, reducing worry about financial hardships and enabling them to better meet their basic needs. We see this idea prominently in the book of Acts. For the Bible says about the church in Acts that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that? For from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Church, that's Ujamaa. That's cooperative economics. That's mutual aid. Finally, the practice of Ujamaa creates stronger community support. It fosters collaboration and interdependence among community members, creating a support network that can help individuals navigate life's challenges. This sense of belonging and shared responsibility can reduce worry by providing a safety net in times of need, as well as emotional and spiritual support from like minded individuals. During the second flood, my daughter and I experienced this on steroids. Out of nowhere, people from everywhere reached out to us. They didn't ask us what we needed. I just kept seeing my Cash App and Venmo with all of these deposits because people saw there was a need. People saw the trauma that we were experiencing, people saw the loss that we were going through. People of faith reached out, shared their resources with us, and thus eliminated for us our worry about tomorrow because they helped us today. Eliminating worry about basic human needs is a communal project. Cooperative economics and mutual aid can significantly reduce or eliminate worry for people of faith, helping them live more fulfilling and spiritually centered lives, lives free of worry over material things. Jesus partners with people. Jesus in this text is calling for a radical reorientation of life and how his followers see wealth and material possessions. Jesus invites us his followers, to Ujama, Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal, or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.